0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 182 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is A Hero's Journey, an interview with Noelle Ellie. My name is Richard Johannesson.
1: And I'm Matt Sabatello.
0: So Matt, this is a young woman who had a really interesting and traditional hero's journey. She wanted to become an entertainment professional. She had success as a very young woman, actually even as a child. And little by little, she turned her modeling career into a television acting career to a movie acting career. And she was beginning to get accolades for her work as an actress. And then things crashed on her.
1: And Rich, Noel was our 182nd podcast guest, yet we still learned so much from her. She talked to us in great detail about plant medicine ceremonies And she also talked to us about the interesting connection between combo and peptides, which many people in the Lyme community are now having success with. So Matt, in true heroes'
0: tradition, this woman had everything stripped from her. She lost her career, at least temporarily. She had all kinds of health issues as a result of Lyme disease. But guess what? She's happier than she's ever been. Despite having to move out of her house, despite having to go through a lot of hardship, she has found her true essence, and she's now ready to help in the Lyme disease community. Without further ado, a hero's journey with Noelle Ellie.
2: Hey Noelle and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: We are really excited to have you, Noelle. We've uh, we've been looking forward to this interview for quite some time and it has finally arrived. So
2: yes. So Noel,
0: where are you physically right now?
2: Physically, I am in Los Angeles in my old home. My husband and I are in the process of moving. It's been a month long. Process, but I'm I'm almost at the other side. So you're not a native of California, are you? No.
0: Where are you from? Where did you grow up?
2: So I was born in Sarasota, Florida, and uh, when I was six years old, I moved to South Carolina with my family. Then we moved back to Florida for uh, a few years, and then we moved back to South Carolina.
0: So you were a, a southeastern gal.
2: Yes, yes, and then I lived in New York for. 15 16 years and i've lived in la now for two
0: wow so uh you lived up here in new york for 15 years and you didn't pick up our ugly accent
2: <laughs> uh, you know being an actor I, I i tried not to i i can do it but i tried to have a pretty standard you
0: know we we, uh, we generally ask everyone to be uh forgiving of matt and i and the way we have butchered the english language so we uh we won't we won't issue our regular trigger warning for, uh, for our New York accent since you will not be joining us with Butchering the Language. And so, Noelle, talk to us about what your experience was like growing up in uh, the Southeastern U.S. Specifically, what was your education like? And did you learn anything about ticks and tick diseases during that period of your life?
2: Sure. Well, I grew up at a time where, like, especially in Florida, my brother and I would in the summer, we would go outside, spend the entire day outside. The only time we would come back home was when my mom would say lunch is ready or, you know, dinner's ready and we'd come back home. But otherwise we were playing in the woods. We were playing with friends and, or we were at the beach. And then when we were in South Carolina, it was the same sort of thing. Um, uh, I, I lived literally next to the woods at times in South Carolina. So we were always climbing trees and building forts and You know, I was a big tomboy. And then uh, in high school, uh, middle school, high school, I started modeling and um, uh, I was a cheerleader. And then at 18 years old, I announced to my parents uh, that I was moving to New York um, to pursue modeling. And two days later, I picked up and was in New York. So
0: you as an outdoorsy kind of kid, um, you had come in contact with ticks. So talk to us about how many times you had come in contact with ticks and what that experience was like um, when you were living in the uh, Southeastern US.
2: Yeah, well, I only actually came in contact with ticks one time that I, that I knew of. Um, and I hadn't, I had heard about Lyme disease, but not a whole ton. Um, in my adult life, I knew more about it, but as a kid, like didn't think anything of it. So when I was six years old, um, I'd been playing in the woods and I came in and I can't remember if it was like that night or the next day, I was like, uh, just kind of like touching my, the top of my head. And my mom was like, what are you doing? Come here. Come here. And so she looked and then she was like, oh, you have a tick. So she took tweezers, took it out and burnt it. And then that was sort of the extent of ticks. And then when, after that, playing in the woods, we kind of always checked to make sure there wasn't a tick, but that was, that was about it.
0: So how old were you when you had that tick bite experience? I was six years
2: old. I was in first grade.
0: So now let's talk about how your life was progressing, right? You, you, you became a model, you had this vision of becoming uh, an entertainment professional, you ultimately became an entertainment professional uh, at a very young age. Um, did your health in any way from when you were six until, we'll talk about your diagnostic journey, when you were diagnosed, did your health impact your ability to pursue these goals of becoming an entertainment professional?
2: No, I was, I, 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 was what I thought I was pretty healthy. Um, so there were some things I, uh, looking back now that I, now that I know, um, I had what the doctors said were growing pains, um, or, you know, migraines. And we thought the growing pains were, were just that. And we thought the migraines were being in the heat in Florida, Um, or I had really bad allergies and we just thought, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, seasonal or whatever. Um, but for the most part, I was super active. And, um, I mean, at one point I was, uh, cheerleading for my high school and then cheerleading for a competitive cheerleading team. So I was, I would probably go from 7.00 AM till 9.00 PM every day. And I was fine growing up. Um, and then I was also on set and those are, you know, 12 hour days. So I was, you know, really healthy.
0: let's talk about the growing pain issue first. Mm -hmm. Where did you feel your growing pains and why were they so severe that you were going to a doctor and talking to the doctor about them?
2: They were in my legs, um, uh, specifically my, my shin calves area and, um, they were just excruciating. And I have a really high pain tolerance. So my parents knew if I was crying, you know, like I was that hurt, uh, we need to take her to the doctor, something's wrong. Um, And eventually it stopped. uh, But also um, another thing, which I forgot to mention, is I started having heart. uh, uh, My heart would skip a beat. um, And that I started picking up around the time I was 12 um, and it's been on and off for many years since, um, but again, we just didn't think anything, you know.
0: So when when you were dealing with these heart palpitation type issues, when you were 12, did, did you seek the advice of a doctor and what were the doctors saying about your heart palpitations?
2: We went to the doctor, but we didn't go get like an EKG or anything like that, like, you know, also growing up, my family didn't have a lot of money, so I don't even think they had the means to be able to do that. So, and I I didn't have health insurance. So, um, it, yeah, they, the doctor was just like, Oh, I think you're fine. You know, I, I don't hear anything, you know, nobody took it that serious.
0: So do you believe that because you are such an active young person and you were taking steps to be healthy, um, you were able to manage these symptoms for a good portion of your life.
2: Totally, totally. And you, know, and, and you guys know this, I think a lot, of people, you know, a lot of people can live with Lyme disease and have no idea. They can you know, live a healthy life. It usually takes something to really activate it or trigger it. So, let's so I think that about, was the case for me.
0: And, and we're gonna get there in a sec. So let's talk about how your career developed between the age of 18 when you moved to New York and where you are today. How, how did your career develop?
2: Oh man! Um, so I I was modeling right away, and um, I uh, it was it was great. I was <laughs> also I look back at at my old calendars to see my schedule, and I mean, just I don't I don't now. I'm like, how did I do that? But um, again, I was just super busy, and then I, I took a commercial class and realized oh wow I love modeling but acting this is it this is what I want to do so then I started taking acting classes and training um, around New York and around the city and um, I did some musical theater and off-Broadway stuff and then um, started booking uh, more TV and film and I had to take a little hiatus, I don't say, I shouldn't say had, but I chose to because my mom got sick. She had metastatic breast cancer. And um, that was uh, sort of the the beginning of my integrative health journey because she got integrative treatment. And um, I would leave New York for periods of time, anytime she got treatment. So anytime she got uh, what's called IPT therapy, which, which is, um, uh, targeted chemo. So it's like a fourth of the dose of normal chemo. And so I would go to be with her and, um, and then she passed away in 2016. And so thank you. Yeah. it It was a big bummer. And, um, she, uh, that took me away from acting quite a lot, even though, you know, she passed away. And then two weeks later I was auditioning for like Black Panther and like these huge projects, you know, but um, that really opened my eyes to, because the doctors gave her three months to live and she thrived for six years. And so that's when it really started to open my eyes of you have to be your own advocate when it comes to your health. And just because an expert or a doctor, you know, tells you something that that doesn't make it fact that doesn't make it Bible that doesn't make it true you know your body so you have the ability to listen to that.
0: So give us some you know and just on a high level some of the some of the TV shows that you're on and some of the uh, film experiences that you had during this portion of your journey.
2: Yeah Um, so I had a recurring role on CBS's Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck and uh I was on Shades of Blue, which was an NBC show with Jennifer Lopez and Ray Liotta. Um, I was on Lifetime Movie Network. Uh, I was on CW's Dynasty, so it's like the reboot Dynasty. Um, and I've done a lot of different films, like action films where I get to play a badass, you know, assassin, and um, lots of commercials. And I, I felt you know it's funny because at first i moved to new york and i was this struggling artist i was a model and then i was an actor but i was waiting tables and nannying and i fell into recognizing i had this skill set and so um i started producing live events and started with like 30 people events to 3000 and um I got the opportunity to work with clients that are New York Times bestselling authors and um, well-known empowerment speakers and motivational speakers. So that also helped me become even more hyper aware of my mindset and how important it is, what we think, what we say, you know, that gets reflected back to us often. and uh, so I did a lot of, I'm really grateful because I did a lot of really cool shit. <laughs> and uh,
0: yeah. So, so how was your health while you were doing all these cool things? And um, were there any moments during all of these exciting events that you were, you were engaging in where you were feeling betrayed by your health?
2: Totally, I, I didn't know that at the time. Um, so for example, I started having chronic lower back pain um, probably around the time I was 20, 24, 25, and it would hurt so bad. It would take my breath away at night. And I just thought, well, I live in a fifth floor walk up and I walk around New York city carrying bags all the time. Um, or, uh, I would get really tired. I'd have friends who would Travel like crazy, then they'd come back and they'd go out and they'd do this and they'd do that. And for me, after I travel, I'd come back to my home, and I would kind of collapse and not be able to do anything for a couple of days. And again, I just thought, well, I'm really busy because I was really busy. Um, and and so there were things like that that started to looking back that definitely were happening, but I just didn't know. I just thought it was normal.
0: Right. But did you really think it was normal when you were comparing yourself, for example, to your friends who were sort of living these crazy lives as well, and they weren't suffering that same kind of fatigue? um,
2: Yeah, I I did. I did only because on top of, you know, working a, a daytime job and then also acting, I was taking care of my mom. And so there was just so much going on that I just yeah, I made, I made excuses for it for sure.
0: So talk to us about, um, when you were finally diagnosed and what led you to go to seek (laughs) the diagnosis.
2: So that's, that's a, that's a doozy. Um, so let me figure out how to condense this. So in 2018, I Um, so one of the things I would do is I, I had an eating disorder for a decade as well. So let me throw that in there. Um, which also I then thought, oh, well, I have an eating disorder. I'm, I'm, I'm treating my body like shit, of course I'm tired or whatever. Um, but I cured myself of the eating disorder. And one of the ways I did it is I would talk to my body and I would thank her for being healthy. And there was one morning I was rubbing my stomach and I was just like showing her love and I said, Thank you for digesting properly, you know, whatever. And as I rubbed my stomach, I noticed this lump. This was in 2018. I was like, that's weird. And I didn't think anything of it. Time went on and I, I continued to feel it. So I went to the doctor at the end of 2018 and she said to me, um, I think you just ate something. I think you're fine. You know, maybe get an ultrasound, but I think I don't, I don't, I don't feel anything. That was the first sort of like ping of something's wrong in my body. But I listened to a doctor and just, she told me I was fine. So I thought I was fine. Fast forward a year, uh, six months, 2019, I moved to LA. And this lump in my stomach starts to grow and get bigger and bigger. And one day I'm walking down Santa Monica and I see a sign that says, do you have bad PMS? Do you have headaches? Do you have this? Do you have that? And my answer was yes, yes, yes. And it said, you may have fibroid tumors. So I web MD and write all my symptoms and it's it's either fibroid tumors or ovarian cancer. And my mom passed away in 2016. So of course my mind goes to, well, I have cancer, right? My mom died of cancer. Of course I have cancer. So I go to the doctor. And at the beginning, I can't get in until 2020. So there's like several months I can't get in. So I finally go January of 2020. And she says, sure enough, yes, you have fibroid tumors. So you need to have them operated to get them removed. So I go to several specialists. They all want to remove the fibroid tumors, but I continue to research because again, I knew at this point, don't take. Doctor's word as fact. Do your own research, be your own advocate. So I start researching and I find that many women get their fibroid tumors removed, but they grow back. So I wanted to get to the root of the issue. So I just continued to see doctors and specialists. And one doctor said, Well, maybe you have parasites. Maybe that's so I'm thinking, okay, I do a parasite cleanse. And Then I finally saw a doctor in the summer of 2020 and he does kinesiology and well, he's actually, he's a chiropractor and he does kinesiology. So he starts asking my body. He takes these like vials and puts them to my head. I have no idea what they are and do you have this yes or no? And so at the end of this, like three hour long appointment, He said, Noel, I know you, I know your diet. I know your lifestyle to look at you. You're the epitome of health. Who knew you were so messed up? I said, what does that mean? And he goes, you have Lyme disease, you have co-infections, you have mold toxicity. Oh my God. And I stay strong in the, in the room you know, he gives me all of these supplements and all of these things. And I go home and I just start bawling because the only other woman I had known who had Lyme disease had it so bad that she was bedridden. She had seizures. She was in and out of the hospital. So I thought, okay, this is going to be my life. And I break down and I give myself like, you know, that night to just be in the, the despair of it. And then the next day at put my boots on and say, all right, let me, I got this. So then I start researching and then I found these communities online on Instagram, on Facebook, on, you know, social media of warriors, you know, Lyme warriors who are, you know, doing the damn thing. So then I start moving forward thinking, okay, I got this. And I started immediately doing the infrared sauna and, um, ionic foot baths and, um, uh, the Rife machine and just doing all of these integrated treatments. But my husband and several other family members and myself, we needed proof because why would I listen to my body? I need scientific proof. I need a blood test to prove that I actually have Lyme disease. Cause what if my body is wrong?
0: Okay. So let's pause there for it's, a second. So you worked with a chiropractor. He used these bioresonance techniques where he diagnosed you with Lyme disease and co-infections, but you still needed something yeah. else, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And where were you going to get that something else? And what is it that you, what is it that you and your husband and your family wanted in order to feel at peace that you did in fact have Lyme disease?
2: we needed the blood test. We needed the blood test to prove we needed the actual test to prove that I had Lyme disease. So I went to my primary doctor back in LA and, um, told her what was going on. And she was, you know, the one thing I'll say too, about when you finding the right doctors, it's really important that your doctor listen to you and not judge you. <laughs> and she, I could tell she had judgments, but she kept them to my to herself. And that I can appreciate. That's fine, you know. So she said, okay, sure, we'll we'll test you. So silent, silent judgment's okay. Yeah, silent okay. judgment. It's fine. Just keep okay. it to yourself. And so she did this traditional CDC testing. And sure enough, they came back negative. And so certain family members were like, see, I knew you didn't have Lyme, but my intuition was like, no, I'm this makes sense. I, I, maybe I don't, which would be great, but this isn't, this isn't right.
0: All right. So let's pause there. So I while. did more. Well, wait, wait, before you go. So now let's talk about all of these experiences you had leading up to this, right? So in many cases, people, when they get their Lyme diagnosis are really excited because they finally have a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Some cases we crash and it's like, holy cow, I don't want to be the sick person like the model of you know that you had in your mind right so let's talk about what your diagnosis from the bioresonance testing gave to you first right you had you you had your meltdown you then pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you were ready to go in and get into the fight because that's who you are right you're a goal-oriented person nobody's holding you back nobody in the entertainment industry stopped you and no one's going to stop you (laughs) in the health field right so right yeah we see that picture right now do you look back at all of the things that you were dealing with, whether it be the migraine headaches and the, and the, uh, and the heart issues and the arthritic issues, and even more importantly, your, um, your eating disorder and now start to see a thread tying them all together for you when you have your diagnosis. And how does that make you feel yeah. if you did now see that thread tying everything together?
2: It was a little, you know, validating because I, you know, in the back of my mind, I think I just thought, well, something's wrong with me or like, I'm. these are, you know, this, you know, this is just, this is the hand you've been dealt and they're quit making excuses. There's no excuses, but then it's like, when I had this diagnosis, I'm like, oh no, it's not an excuse like this. I've been, I've been battling this chronic thing for, since I was six years old, you know? So it, it was validating for sure, but there was still that question, that part of my brain that was like, ah, but I need proof. I can't, you know, what's muscle, what's kinesiology anyway, what's muscle testing, you know? Um, so It was like, it was like walking, you know, like having one foot over here, one foot over here and just going back and forth between them. And so it didn't feel totally solidified.
0: All right. So let's stay there for a second. So you're clearly someone that has a support system around her of both family and friends. And you shared with us a moment ago that when the blood test came back, there were some people in your support Circle that were like, well, maybe you don't really have Lyme disease. So let's just talk about how your family and friends had been treating you during your life when you were having these moments where you were not physically well and whether or not that had helped you or hurt you. So let's let's again talk about your your your, your what we now know to be your Lyme disease symptoms during your childhood. Were there were there some people in your life who were doubting whether or not you were really physically sick? And that and and did that ever cause you to believe in your mind that maybe you were, I don't know, crazy?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I. What's also interesting about this is, so in January of 2020, I was diagnosed with the fibroids, and then March of 2020, the pandemic hit. So I left LA. And I totally left this out. I left LA, drove across the country to South Carolina where my family was. My husband had been living in New York. He drove down to South Carolina. So we all sort of like met in the, the hub of South Carolina. And I arrive and the, I don't, I still don't know if the Lyme had anything to do with it but the fibroids had shifted and moved from the long drive. Cause I drove it straight through like, like 40 hours straight through. And the fibroids had shifted, which caused the, um, uh, I, have, I have like 10 fibroids in my stomach, but one was sitting on my bladder and one was sitting on my colon. So it blocked them and I could not eliminate. And I was in the most excruciating pain of my life to the point that we had to go rush to the ER in the middle of the pandemic. And I, I made a deal with God. I was like, if this is how I have to live my life, take me now, I'm good. I, this, it was so painful. And so after that, I just thought it was the fibroid. So I changed my diet. I already had a healthy lifestyle anyway, but I went completely gluten-free, dairy-free, you know, vegan, um, uh, caffeine-free, alcohol-free, fun-free, all the things, right? And I did this in the middle of the pandemic and, and I'm living at my dad's home with my family. It was so much so like there was already you know we're having to like go through my mom's stuff so like the emotions the the feels everything was very high um so to have them sort of question it it it, it made sense in a way because there was just so much going on do you know what i mean
0: i did um but what i want to know is they, now how did that impact you noelle right i mean you you was it causing you to have doubt in your mind because people who you had intimate relationships with were doubting whether you were really sick?
2: Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, it made me have doubt and it made me, um, made me angry and made me sad and, and made me feel all the things. And, uh, but at, at the same time, I, I, if nothing else, I knew, okay, something is going on with my body. Our bodies talk to us if we choose to listen. And she is saying she is unhappy. So I need to figure out, I need to get to the to the root of it. So I just became determined like, all right, fine. You can think I'm crazy. I sometimes feel crazy, but I'm just going to keep digging. So, you know,
0: part of what you started to set up for us earlier in the story was you had this experience with integrative medicine with your mom. So you now had a very different relationship with doctors, right? Yeah. You talked about, having this experience where you were working with some experts on mindset and you learned about the importance of mindset. And now you have that tool available to you in your toolbox. You talked about self-talk and the importance of of talking to yourself in a way that would be healing and taking control of your self-talk, right? So you're developing all these tools on this journey, even before you get sick. And how do they serve you when you finally do get your diagnosis and you have all these doubters around you?
2: I mean, it was, it was, it's huge. Like I, um, <laughs> you know, uh, a client of mine, Gabby Bernstein, an old, old client of mine, Gabby Bernstein used to say, um, when people say, I don't have time to meditate, she would say, well, do you have time to feel like shit? And, you know, that always stuck, <laughs> it always stuck with me. And so, you know, having a mindfulness practice. So for me, that's having a morning routine of, you know, getting up, doing just starting right away with some Ujjayi breath and talking to my body. So deep inhales and exhales. And then from there drinking, you know, a big old thing of um, lemon water and doing some breath work and meditating. And then if I can, if I have time to like write and journal and, you know, make a gratitude list, that has always been really important for me. And at the same time, I started to get a little angry because it felt like last summer, everything was stripped away from me. And, you know, I've gone vegan and, you know, off caffeine many times throughout my life, but it was a choice. And this time it didn't feel like it was a choice. And so I sort of started to get a little rebellious of like, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to meditate. I don't want to, you know, write my gratitude list. Um, and, uh, so it was also the battle between doing what I know would help me or allowing myself to be in this place of anger and frustration. And, um, you know, because also too, by the way, I was auditioning out here in LA, like Crazy! I was getting sometimes three auditions a day, and so if and I was meeting all these new casting directors and producers and directors and getting these offers. So I was feeling like, yes, I moved to LA. It's happening for me. This is going to be it. And then everything stopped.
0: So now let's talk about the anger. Where was the anger coming from? Was it anger being generated by uh, by your grieving? The yes the loss of, of the person and the dreams that you're pursuing, or was it Lyme rage that was being triggered by changes <laughs> in your body from Lyme disease, or was it anger that was coming out of sort of just being exhausted from doing all of these different, you know, using all these different tools that you needed to use in order to stay emotionally and physically healthy. Where was that anger coming from?
2: All of the above. I, I did not know. So the, the the grief part of my old the old version of myself that actually didn't I didn't have that epiphany until this past year in a in a plant medicine ceremony. So that aside, I had um, the lime rage was insane to the point that like my dad, my nickname is Noni. He'd be like, "Hey, Noni," and I'd be like, "What?" <laughs> and all of a sudden, like. He'd look at me, my husband would look at me, I'd look at myself and be like, I don't, wow, I have no idea where that came from. You know, so the Lime Range was real. And, and it, I mean, it was funny, like we'd make a joke about it. I'd be snarky or say something bitchy. And my husband would be like, Excuse me. And I'd say, Oh, it's Lime Range, you know? So, um, no, but it was, it was the Lime Range, but it was also um, just, you know, I am such a people person. I am my, one of my love languages is physical touch. So like, I love hugging and like seeing my friends and my family. And so to just all of that was going on. Plus like, you know, the, the, the revolution happening. There was just so much that I was just angry at. How is this where I am at in the world right now? Like, how is this my life at, you know, 35 years old? I thought I would be well on my way with a career, with a family. And instead I'm dealing with all of these health issues.
0: So were there different types of anger? Meaning did they present differently when it was anger that was triggered by your grief versus the anger that was triggered by the Lyme rage? Were they different?
2: The Lyme rage was exactly that. It was rage. And the anger from grief was always associated with sadness, right? So they often say like, you know, behind anger is sadness anyway. So that that usually was hand in hand, but the rage would literally just be this sort of like rageful, you know, outburst that would happen almost like Tourette's. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so they definitely were different.
0: So how did your family deal with all of your anger? I mean, what, what did, in, in addition to them sort of saying, why are you being like that? I mean, what kind of coping mechanisms did you help them to utilize? And did, when you were able to describe sort of a, 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 rage as Lyme rage, was that something that was helpful to them?
2: Um, you know, my family, God love them. We love hard and we fight hard. So like there's the dysfunctional, dysfunctional family that, that like, you know, we'd yell at each other and then five minutes later, we're fine. So I don't necessarily know, like I would inform them of, hey guys, like this is what I'm learning and this is what happens with the Lyme rage, but uh, it wasn't necessarily this thing where we constantly talked about it or they were super um, conscious of, oh, she's going through a moment right now. Let's give that to her. It was just, I'd get angry and then we'd move on. You know what I mean? I do. So,
0: Noel, you're going on like three auditions a day. I mean, yeah. you know, is brain fog interfering with your capacity to be successful at any of these the, auditions?
2: It's a great question. So I did not realize it was brain fog. So I've always had a really great memory. And when it comes to memorizing lines, because, you know, for some auditions, you'd get 12 pages, 12 pages of sides and of dialogue. And I... You'd have, to mem- you'd have to know the whole thing in a matter of eight hours. So, you know, I've always been really quick, but throughout the years, I noticed there were certain specific moments where it was just gone, no matter how long I worked on it. But I just thought, oh, I guess, I'm not necessarily a nervous person. I don't get, I don't really get nervous, I get excited. But I just thought, oh, I guess it's nerves. But looking back, oh my God, it was a brain fog and I just had no idea.
0: So now why did you fall to nervousness when you weren't feeling nervous? I mean, explain that thought process that you had or that rationalization process where you really weren't nervous. You'd never been nervous, but you use that as as the fallback for the explanation about why you were struggling with your lines.
2: You know, in the entertainment industry so often, in one day, I was told I, I was on a, um, <laughs> I was on modeling castings and I was told, you know, sometimes you'd go to like 10 a day. And I was told I was too fat. I was too thin. I was too tall and I was too short. So it's such a mind fuck in the entertainment industry that, you know, you can you can literally go into a room, audition and see the producer on his cell phone the whole time, walk out and say, I suck. And then literally book the job. So like, there's no rhyme or reason with the business, but I think a default for a lot of actors or models in the entertainment industry is, well, it's my fault. I've done something that's wrong. So for me, it's like, if I got brain fog, I'm not going to think it wasn't common for me to be like, Oh, I have brain this is what it is. Let me let me figure out what's going on in my body. It's no you're wrong, you're nervous, you're not good enough. Surely that's why you don't know your lines.
0: Now, do you think that was the entertainment industry and the sort of the beat down that you take in the entertainment industry or is that really sort of a line undermining your 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 mindset in your inability mm-hmm. to properly evaluate what it is that was happening.
2: You know, I'd love to blame the lime. I didn't even think about that, but I think it's probably a combination of both. I think it's, you know, I also grew up in the south where um racism was prevalent and I was a brown girl and uh you know, so there were just a lot of things that uh, uh Created this this reality for myself, and so I think it was all all of the above once again.
0: Now, do you think the stresses of working in the entertainment industry made it difficult for you to begin the healing process?
2: Yes and no. I think the inner. I think it also saved me. I was living my purpose. I was getting to be creatively fed. You know, I. When my eating disorder was bad, I remember seeing a life coach, and she said, "Well, you need to get out of you stuff acting and modeling. Like that's not the industry you should be in." And I remember thinking, "Like that's crazy. Like I, how many people can say they get to do what they love?" You know. So I think, um, yes, I, I didn't. This is what's interesting. So I was auditioning like crazy, and in. December of 2019, I, my manager, uh, it was the day before my birthday, he called me and said, listen, we're going to have to let you go. And basically I was dropped. Came out of nowhere. It made zero sense. And I was devastated. I was heartbroken. But it, looking back, it was such a blessing. Because had I still been auditioning like I was, I would have never continued to you know, dig. So had I been on set, had I had I booked a series regular on a television show, I'd be on set 12 hours a day, Monday through Friday. Do you think I'd be paying any attention to my health? Absolutely not. So in a way I was sort of forced upon this like hiatus and I was angry about it and still trying to hold on and hold on and hold on. And I was still getting auditions, but not nearly as much. And thank God, because this has created the space and the room for me to focus on myself. And that's actually been a really big struggle between taking this time off and feeling like, what if I'm forgotten about? What if I'm overlooked? What if I, you know, what if I'm not good anymore? So there's been a lot of that that's come into play. But, you know.
0: But it looks like there have been a lot of tools given to you on this journey to get you ready for your healing as well, including this break, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now let's go back to your diagnosis, right? So you had your bioresonance diagnosis, you had your first blood test where you didn't test um, positive. You had all that doubt surrounding you. And now we now get to your diagnosis. How did you finally get a diagnosis that you and your family were at peace with?
2: So after the CDC test came back negative, I continued to research and found out about eugenics. Um, and I did their testing and sure enough, I came back, it came back with, you know, Borrelia, Babesia, Bartonella, Riccia, like all the things. And that was it for me. I was like, okay, I don't need to continue to do any more. This is right. This is accurate. This I know in my bones is correct. And that's that. So, um, from there, I then let my, informed my family, this is, this is the results, you know, and I'm sticking to it. So now I need to find the right doctors. And so then I went on the hunt to find Lyme literate doctors.
1: And what was that process like to find a Lyme literate doctor? Because we get asked all the time, people that are looking for Lyme literate doctors that will help them. And it's not an easy task. So where did you go? Did you go to the internet? And did you network with people? How did you find the proper doctor to work with you to treat your Lyme disease?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I first tried to go within network, my, my health insurance network. And so first I saw an infectious disease specialist and I brought him my eugenics test and he was like, yeah, I don't believe that. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, I've been doing this for, for, you know, 30 years and I don't believe it. And he was so, he was so arrogant about it. And while I also appreciate doctors who feel so passionately about what they believe at the same time, that wasn't what I needed. And um, so he, uh, that was sort of it. And they tried to send me to rheumatologists and all of these other doctors to be like, maybe it's rheumatoid arthritis, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And I just was like, no. So I started asking friends, Um, I started researching and finding friends that had Lyme outside of the one woman I knew who did. And I found a friend here in LA And she recommended a amazing integrative doctor in Pismo beach. And I went to him, he was so lovely. He spent like four hours with me going over everything. And by the end of it, he, I loved him, but he wanted me to take uh, antibiotics for four years. And that was not, that was not, I I didn't want to do that. So even though I got the prescriptions filled, Anytime I would look at the the pill bottle, my whole body screamed, no. So I didn't do it. And I continued to look for more doctors. And then I finally found a doctor on the East Coast who I love. Um, but her consult was $1,700. And, um, you know, I, I, I did it begrudgingly. I tried not to for a while because I was sort of bitter. Like, you're... <laughs> <laughs> you could charge me $1,700 for an hour for a consult, you know, and I did. And she was lovely. She's so knowledgeable. Um, and I also found another doctor, integrative doctor, Dr. Jess. She is incredibly inexpensive. She was only like, I think I was one of the last consults she was doing. Now she's no longer doing consults, but her protocol could last months to years. And this Dr. Gedrick in New Jersey, she felt like if she got me on the right supplements uh, and then I came to see her, it would be a matter of a month or two. And, but with Dr. Gedrick, it's very, very expensive. And so I sort of battled between the two of like, do I go with Dr. Jess? Do I don't go with Dr. Gedrick? What do I do? You know, one is a matter of like, a couple grand the other is a matter of tens of thousands of dollars right and so i started on gedrick's protocol i felt a little bit better um not not super great and i was supposed to go out there and so what i decided i was going to do being i'm also a director so being the actor director producer. Uh, I was like, okay, great. This is what I'm going to do. I'm doing all this research. And and in the meantime, I was also doing like IV therapies here, cryotherapy, all these different um, acupuncture. I was like, all right, I'm going to create a documentary series and I'm going to document what I'm doing. And uh, this is a way to sort of kill two birds with one stone where I'm letting people know about Lyme disease. And also I'm creatively being fed. So I got my crew together and Talk to Gedrick, we were gonna go on a television show, all these things, ready to go. It's the night before my hotel's book, my flight's booked. We're supposed to, I'm supposed to fly out there. And I'm I'm gonna be in New Jersey, New York for a month. I get the hit. I'm not supposed to go. What does that mean? What in the world? I've already spent so much money. What? I'm not supposed to go. I have no idea why. I just hear. Um, I had actually done a, uh, plant medicine ceremony. It's part, I, part psilocybin and it was in the, it was in the ceremony. I'm not supposed to go. I don't know why. So I tell my husband, literally my flights at 6.00 AM the night before I'm not going. And he goes, are you crazy? Don't you want to heal? I, yes, of course I want to heal. I cannot go. So I don't go. I let Gadrick know. I, I. I can't co- I can't come right now. Well, so, you
1: there, a couple, so many things I want to ask you about stuff you've already said. So did you say that you did treat for one month using the aggressive plan in New Jersey or you planned to, and then you didn't go, you pulled out the night before? I just want to sure I understood that correctly.
2: Sure, I did the supplement protocol that she provided me. So we did, we did, um, we did blood testing and the supplement protocol. And um, uh, with the blood test, she also confirmed, she sends her stuff out to Germany. She also confirmed that I had Lyme disease. I have parasites. I have mold. I have, you know, all of these things. And she did say something, which I loved. She, she gave me total validation. She said, "Well, based off of your blood test, you are actually not a candidate for antibiotics. And had you started those antibiotics, you would be held up in bed. You wouldn't be able to get out of bed. So I'm so glad you listened to your intuition. And she was so, she, she has been so lovely. Actually, all these doctors have been so lovely in terms of, you know, I'm a little woo-woo or what could seem woo-woo. And they've been judgment-free or kept their judgments to themselves and been really encouraging for me to listen to my body. And, you know, both Dr. Jess and Dr. Gedrick, and um, they've, they've said like, you're gonna heal because so many Lyme patients don't have their mindset right. They just, you know, there's so much fear around it. But you're 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 doing both, which is that's the whole package. So um, I had done the supplement protocol, and I was headed out to the East Coast to do a month long uh, deep dive of, of treatments in person.
1: The supplement protocol. Do you recall what was in those supplements, or was it something proprietary to Dr. Gedrick?
2: It uh, both, so it was um, uh, proprietary in the sense of uh, it's sort of her thing, but she refers out all these. So I was taking like um, body bio and I was taking probiotics and I was taking um, uh, all sorts of stuff. It was probably like 30, 30 supplements a day.
1: With the goal of building your body up from a whole body approach to get yourself ready to treat the Lyme it sounds like. Exactly. And do you recall the labs in Germany? So you said that Dr. Gedrick, she sent you your blood off to Germany to confirm. Was that Armin Labs in Germany? Do you know?
2: I, I have been tested with Armin Labs. I don't recall if that was with Dr. Gedrick or another doctor. I've, I've taken so many blood tests. Like, it's, I've given so much blood. <laughs>
1: And just to circle back, because you, you did mention that you were looking for a Lyme specialist and you reached out to some friends and you found a, a new friend in California who recommended you to your first doctor who wanted to do the four years of antibiotics, which you right away said, no, your intuition told you absolutely not. And, you know, fast yeah. forward, rightfully so. We just yesterday posted a, um, a, a social media post from our, one of our past guests, Erica Schlick, who, who teasingly said, Lyme disease doesn't exist in California because one of her doctors had told her that. And we received almost 200 comments in a day of people telling us they've been diagnosed and infected with Lyme disease in California. So would you say that that's more common than people would think and that this, this outdated mindset of Lyme doesn't exist in California is just really, really outrageous from your standpoint?
2: Oh, it's, it's completely outrageous. And I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, it being bio and then putting it in, you know, chem and like, it's, it's, it absolutely exists and, and not enough people are talking about it and not enough people know about it. So any of the doctors that tried to at first be like, well, I don't know, Lyme disease isn't super common in California. I would, my response was, I hear that. And I feel like maybe you just haven't had enough research on it. You know what I mean? Like, so I would definitely push back, but it's, there are so many doctors around the entire country that will say, Oh, it's not, no, it's not really a thing. Or, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories, you know, someone a a gynecologist saying to, to one woman, when she told her she had Lyme, like, Oh no, that's not true. That's what holistic doctors say to make money. I mean, it's, it's, This is such a, this is such a common thing. And, and it's, I'm so grateful for people like you guys and, and, you know, who are using their platform for good and trying to raise awareness around Lyme disease because it clearly is a thing.
1: (laughs) And an important note there is obviously Lyme is very real and valid in California. And a recent study shows that ticks are very, very prominent in California beaches. And they studied those ticks and many of them, I think most of them now are infected with Lyme disease. So they're starting to change a little bit with the thought process there in California, that Lyme is much more common than we previously had thought. So hopefully that brings us some traction in that area and, and helps people that are suffering in California. But I do want to circle back to Dr. Jess as well, because you were sort of, you know, going back and forth, Dr. Jess, Dr. Gedrick, and, you know, did you ever really treat Dr. Jess, or was that just more of a back and forth consideration that you never actually landed with?
2: So I, um, Uh, in 2020, when I, when I first found out about, when did I start working with Dr. Jess? I found out about her. I was in South Carolina and a friend told me about her and she did, we did the Dutch test, um, hormone test and a couple other things. And she had said at first, based off of my symptoms, she was like, I don't know if you have Lyme disease, you definitely have parasites and probably some mold, but I'm not sure like you'd have to do the right test to to know for sure. And so she put me on cell core. And I did that for two, I did like phase one and phase two. And while I was eliminating parasites, for sure, I actually didn't feel that great. So I thought, after phase one, I would feel amazing or especially after phase two, but I didn't. And it was in that process, we found out I had the Lyme disease. So then she was like, oh, wow, you do indeed have Lyme disease. I got the hygienics test and she goes, okay, so you know, this is the protocol I would give you, but it's going to take some time. And so she was really, she was wonderful. Like she, she was absolutely like, if you wanna to go to Gedrick to get like sort of that quick fix, you know, and you want to spend that money, absolutely. Like she was super supportive, um, but she, her protocol, you know, is, is she just wants, she, she's not worried about making the money. You know what I mean? She just wants people to heal.
1: So you were, you were already treating Dr. Jess before your diagnosis, and that's when you pivoted over to see Dr. Gedrek and she then, that's when you pulled out, which we'll get to in a second. Now, Selcor, before you had your diagnosis of Lyme, CellCore you were using to treat parasites, which you guys expected with Dr. Jess. Is that an anti-parasitic protocol? Can you talk to us more about what cell core is for our listeners?
2: Yeah. um, So it was like, uh, you take like a binder. um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It was like six different things. Some were tinctures, some were uh, pills. And and then I think your diet has to be pretty clean, which it already was for me. Um, And it's really great. particular, which I didn't know this at the time, but if you take it around the full moon, because that's when parasites are the most active. So, um, uh, yeah. I, and, and most people who are just have parasites will feel amazing after doing this, this parasite cleanse, but I, I, I wasn't feeling any different other than eliminating parasites.
1: (laughs) So I wonder it was that whole whack-a-mole theory that you were treating the parasites, which you likely had because you were purging them, but then the symptoms of Lyme became more prominent because you were treating the parasites. You think looking back, that's what's yes, happening?
2: Exactly. And what's, what's wild is I also, while I was on the East Coast, um, because I was 35, I'm thinking, oh God, I have these fibroids. I now, like, there's, there's all these things going on. Let me go talk about freezing my eggs right? Because, you know, many doctors will be like, well, you're that bad age, you know? So I went to a reproductive endocrinologist and he goes, Noel, I can't even get to your ovaries. We did test and he's like, your ovaries are great, but I can't even get to your ovaries because the fibroids are blocking them. And what was so wild, Dr. Jess said something that's always stuck with me. She goes, you know, our bodies are so remarkable. I wonder if the fibroids developed to protect your ovaries from the parasites getting to them, and I was like, "I love that." Okay, I'll take it. Yes. Uh, so I always found that very that that, that very fascinating theory, and um, I now think the fibroids developed from the Lyme disease being left untreated. And I I when I first found out about the Lyme disease, I went on this deep dive of researching the correlation between Lyme disease and fibroids and there's not a ton out there and um I found a woman Jordan Younger she's the balanced blonde on social media she had first had and I don't know that she's talked about the correlation but she first had fibroid removal surgery and I like saw that and then years later I found out she had Lyme disease so I was I was just like oh my god there're probably so many women so I'm a part of these fibroid groups where I'm like guys get tested for Lyme but but the I don't want to like ruin the ending, but there's also a whole nother piece to it as well that I've found out in the last few months.
1: Okay. So we're definitely going to get there. So many more questions for you though. So talk to us a little bit though, Noelle, about the IV vitamins that you were getting and the cryotherapy while you were, you know, treating with Dr. Jess and then, you know, contemplating going to Dr. Gedrick in New Jersey. What were the IVs that you were getting and how was the cryotherapy helping you?
2: I was doing Myers cocktail and vitamin C and glutathione and, um, uh, what else? Those are mainly the IVs. I also, um, I have an infrared sauna from a company called relax sauna. Um, and I love it. It's portable. Um, you can use the code Noel 100 to save hundred dollars. And, uh, It's, it's been, it's wonderful. I, I, in my home in LA right now, it wasn't that big. So having a portable sauna that I could literally like pop up and use is, has been fantastic. Um, uh, Also doing um, uh, light therapy and the hyperbaric chamber when I can, but the, the, the tricky thing about it is number one, this shit's expensive. It's so expensive. And number two, it, one time I, I was on a panel with Dr. Jess and somebody was talking about self-care and how important it is to, you know, take baths, Epsom salt baths, which I do and dry brushing and doing all of these healing modalities for self-care. And I pushed back and I said, wow, it is so important. What if it's really exhausting? And she goes, no, well, it's not exhausting for healthy people. And I was like, oh my God, wow. That's like, I've I have felt like shit for so long. I forget what it's like to, you know, live like a healthy person. Because I used to do this stuff, by the way. 10 years ago, I'd fly out to LA and one of the first things I'd do is I'd get my IV, I'd go to a Korean day spa and I would I would feel like a million bucks for like a month after that. I would feel incredible. Now when I do these Often I have Herxheimer reactions and I'm exhausted for three days and I'm laying on my couch and can barely work.
1: So this is probably a hard question, but would you consider all the things you just discussed a band-aid that give you temporary relief, but aren't contributing to your overall increase in your health? Or do you think they're all tools that have helped you gradually get to improve your health?
2: a hundred percent. They're all tools. They're not a band-aid at all. I mean, there's how, how can it be a tool to pump your body full of goodness? You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, if, if people have the means to do it, I, I am a huge advocate for, for, you know, getting all the IVs and, and, you know, sweating it out and, uh, mindfulness, you know, all of it.
1: So all of these therapies you discussed though were helpful, the, the cryotherapy, colonics, the, um, The you know the detox vitamins that you got in the IV, all of that stuff, the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, all of those were helpful in your journey and you feel were part, you know, partly responsible for your increase in health that you have today.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So circle back to uh, where you left off a little while ago, where you went to this plant medicine ceremony, and as a result, you realized I'm calling this off, we're not going to Jersey. What was that plant medicine ceremony? And what is that? What is a plant medicine ceremony?
2: Yeah, so in December. Um, of 2020, I was introduced to a shaman and uh, his wife, and they're so lovely. And they do um, uh, part ayahuasca and part psilocybin. And there's no, um, there's no purging, there's no dark night of the soul. It's very light. It's very airy. And that was, it's, it's kind of like microdosing. So You know, if anybody knows anything about ayahuasca, you you drink the cups and it's, it it can be heavy and it can be a lot. This was sort of like a gentle introduction to that. Um, And I had found out about ayahuasca many years ago, but it just wasn't the time. Uh, And I, I did this because my anxiety. So when I came, I came back, I'd been on the East coast from March of 2020 through August of 2020 on and off. And I came back full time in LA, uh, August. And after that, the anxiety, just crazy, the anxiety and depression were all consuming. And I'm someone who's always been a pretty laid back, happy, go lucky girl. So to have constant anxiety and not be able to sleep and chronic fatigue and, you know, sleeplessness, it just, it was miserable. And so I was kind of desperate and, um, I did this plant medicine ceremony and it's a whole ceremonial experience. There's some meditation, there's um, uh, intention setting. Um, so for me, my intention was to heal, right? Uh, to heal and to get clarity. And so for me, how it affected me is it, it, it sort of um, it takes me in like a portal of different moments of my life. And I'm able to have forgiveness and love and compassion and understanding at these moments that were seemingly nothing, but I realized my body held on to as trauma. And so it's been—I basically have been doing ceremonies uh, once a month since. And once I once I found the ceremonies, I was like, "Oh, this is absolutely a part of my healing journey. I have to do this." And I, I know it's, it's just a part of it. And, um, that has what has been one of the biggest, um, profound healing modalities out of everything I've done.
1: So essentially it's allowed you to have clarity. It sounds like it's taken you out of the fight or flight mode and it's allowed you to have a rational mindset to make clear decisions to improve your health.
2: A hundred percent. So one
1: of the things we find, and it's the probably, if if not the most, one of the most difficult things to overcome with chronic Lyme is the fear to take steps to improve your health because people are so afraid of getting worse and are so afraid of treatments that could have adverse reactions. Do you feel that these plant medicine ceremonies have helped you make rational decisions to improve your health that you might have otherwise not taken?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, it's, it's, you know, one of the sort of one of the first epiphanies I had on the plant medicine was I was taken back to a moment where I was seven years old and I watched a movie and it was this really, I wasn't supposed to, I asked my dad, I was like, can I watch this? And he said, no. And I I like snuck it and watched it. And it was about aliens who abducted women that were pregnant and they would take their babies to like procreate. And so I realized, oh my God, At seven years old, I told my body, she's not safe to get pregnant. So what happened? There are these fibroids that literally I can't get pregnant because they're blocking my ovaries. Like, you know, so there've just been huge moments like that, that have been so beautiful and so under, like it just, uh, and, and yeah, like I said, there've been so much where I thought it was like nothing but a thing. Like I didn't think anything of it. And I realized, oh no, that was trauma that's trauma that has been stored in my body and has not been able to be released.
1: So let's talk more now about the next steps. You're finally getting this trauma released. You're getting this clarity. You're calming down your nervous system and you were previously contemplating which doctor to go to next. So what are your next steps in your healing journey? Now that you have this clarity and this calmness because of these plant medicine ceremonies that you've been going to.
2: Well, so I, um, told my shaman about my results. So before I did the plant medicine, I was like, this is what I have going on health-wise. So he also does energy work and he's working on my body and he goes, I can literally smell mold coming out of you. I don't know what that means. I'm like, do I need to brush my teeth? What does that mean? And he's like, no, 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 it's not that. He was He's very sensitive to mold. So that then creates like a ping. And I'm like, what is, that's really interesting. So in another ceremony, I heard, get your home tested for mold. So I- So you say you heard,
1: this is like something that like a, like it's a, a, describe it's like that a for spoke,
2: us. It's like a spoken feeling. It's a spoken feeling. So it's not this like loud godly voice and it's not necessarily my voice. It's just, I don't know any other way to describe it other than a spoken feeling. And there've been many times throughout my life I've had epiphanies like that where I've, I've, had, I've heard this spoken feeling and I've always listened to it. And when I, you know, it's, it's always served me. And so I told my husband, I'm like, find a mold expert. We need to get this place tested for mold. So we find somebody and he comes and he does air testing and he goes, I'm going to test the kitchen. And again, the spoken feeling was test the bathroom. And by the way, there's no... It's, it's, a, it's a newly renovated place. There's no, you can't see any mold, you can't smell any mold, but it was so strong. And he goes, he like can show you on the, the humidifier, like there's not that much humidity. I think it's okay. And I said, I, you gotta test the bathroom. So sure enough, the results come back and we have mold in our bathroom. So I then let Dr. Gedrick know Hey, do, do I still continue on this protocol? Cause have been taking the supplements for a couple months now. And she goes, Oh my God, no, well, if you had come and gotten treated out here, you would have come back to a home with mold and it would have reactivated everything. And so the mold has been the trigger for all of this crap. Every single thing, because I, when I was in 2018, uh, when I first felt the lump, it was the size of like a half dollar. Now it's the size of a grapefruit. My fibroid has grown that much in this home. I didn't know why it's because the mold has just fed everything. I'm losing hair. I am, you know, it's, it's, it causes the anxiety. So it basically, it's the thing that activated the lime and, uh, and it's, it's the thing that has grown the fibroids and it's like basically been the the major cause of all of this stuff. And so, so once, I have to get out. That's why I'm in the process of this move.
1: So once again, your intuition ultimately saved your life, right? You would have went to Dr. Gedrick, You would have had no, maybe some progress with her while there, come home and you would have relapsed and you would have been stuck again, right? So... If- it just sounds like, and by the intuition. way, that would have
2: taken that would have taken you know that would have been like twenty five thousand dollars. So that's that's my money. Like that's that's you know what I mean. I would have been able to afford that again. And so yes, a hundred percent. My intuition has been the the um, captain of the ship, and I. It's there have been so many blessings throughout this because it's taught me the importance of, you know, really listening to our higher self or that, you know, whether you call it, you know, the Holy Spirit or your intuition or guidance, whatever it is like, that's been the thing that I've had throughout the consistency of my life. And anytime I've listened, it has served me exponentially.
1: So talk to us more about the plant ceremony and shamans, right? Because so many people hear the word shaman and they go, "Ugh, shaman!" That's just so, you know. And and we've heard from time and time again that shamans and and these holistic healers have really helped people in the wine community. There's there's real value there. So what what would you say to those people who just hear that word and had just been sort of trained and ingrained to not think that they're real and valuable and helpful? And and how would you clear that up for them? And and from your own experiences?
2: Yeah. That's a great question. You know, I definitely had judgment without realizing I had judgment. One of the things, the plant medicine, I've always thought of myself as like a pretty judgmental person, but plant medicine has shown me how often I judge everything, whether it's judging others, judging myself, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's constant and it's exhausting, you know? And so with, um, with the shaman, I see, Um, this shaman is not like, I think you hear shaman and you think like a, a a tribal, you know, type of person. And this shaman looks like he could be my next door neighbor, like, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair type, like surfer dude, you know, um, it's, it's for me, it's not about the label. And that's, that's really what this has taught me, whether it's, you know, I grew up very Christian and, um. Was, was raised to have certain beliefs. And this has taught me the importance of like, we're all one, There's, it's oneness, it's about love. We aren't meant on this earth to, to work, make money and die. We're meant to, to you know, live in the light and spread, spread love. And um, if you can, to anyone who is thinking like, okay, you know, if you can try to put your judgment aside and listen, like, are you curious? If you're curious, maybe check it out a little bit more, but from a place of curiosity, not from a place of judgment. And, um, you know, it definitely has to be, you have to be ready for it. You know, my husband, he did full-blown ayahuasca, and it was two nights. And the first night was literal hell, absolute torture. But he stayed the second night and it was total bliss. And he has received so many downloads and so many blessings. And he is not someone who is into, you know, like when I met him, he was not meditating. He was like playing football and drinking milk and like, do it like he, he, he's a different person than he is now. And it's, it's been, he has, he's recognized the, the gifts it's given me and you know, I don't know about you, but anytime I see somebody doing something that's bringing them joy, I'm like, Ooh, I want that. Let me try that. And so, um, it definitely have to be called to it. And, and there are also people who facilitate plant medicine ceremonies that aren't shamans. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a shaman. It just has to be with people you trust who understand the medicine, who are, are going to, um, keep you safe and keep themselves safe.
1: So what else have you done in your your journey up until the present date that has helped you? We've talked about a lot. Have there been any other natural or Western medicines that have helped you in your journey?
2: Mm. Well, so now that I found out about the mold, I I found out recently that citric acid is made from mold and citric acid is in like 90% of hair care products. And so, you know, these are things I knew what, what goes into your body is just as important as what goes on your body, right? Like our skin is our largest organ. So, you know, I already tried to do organic stuff anyway, anyway, or like paraben toxin free, but now that I'm continuing to dig and find, oh my God, like literally half my hair care products have citric acid in it. Um, So there's things like that, that I'm becoming more conscious of and I'm removing them. And so what I'm doing right now is literally every single thing in my home is gone. I've, I'm having to buy all new furniture. And this has been like the most excruciating part of it. Like I have items that my mom gave me that are so sentimental that you can't get back that I have to let go of. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, talk about grief. Like it's, it's, You know, it's been five years since she's passed and I've had these thoughts of like, I feel like her memory is sometimes fading, but at least I have this, right? Like at least I have this tangible thing I can hold and I have to let go of it. But I keep trying to remember. It's all about remembrance for me. So like, if I can remember, first of all, wealth without health means nothing. So I've had to basically let go of a lot of my clients with my production PR company. I haven't been able to act. I'm letting go of it because I know healing is more important. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, do I want things or do I want my health? So, so you know, when it, it's, it's I feel this rebirth happening and it started to happen with the plant medicine, but now it's like, oh, you know, last summer I kept saying like, I'm angry because I feel like everything is stripped away from me. I can't eat this, I can't drink this. I just want to drink a beer on the beach or whatever it was. But now it's sort of God being like, oh, you thought that was stripping away? ha, <laughs> cute. That's really cute. Here we go. And, and I'm, I'm trying to look at this as a, a rebirth to step into this new portion of my life so I can live fully and happily and healthily and all, you know, feel all the things. Um, so, so everything I've mentioned the IVs, the cryotherapy, the acupuncture, the colonics, the enemas, the, all the things, those are all helpful. But the biggest thing for me has been the understanding of deep, true, real self-love. And I used to hear self-love and I would be like, make me puke. Come on. Like everyone, everyone's a life coach nowadays. Everybody preaches self-love. I didn't understand it, but through the plant medicine, I now embody it. And, um, I know without a doubt, that the, once I get out of this moldy home, I'm going to heal. And oh my God, one more thing I forgot to mention, combo has been huge for my Lyme disease. I am pretty certain, and I don't have the doctor, you know, uh, blood test statistics, but I'm pretty certain that combo has been the thing that's like diminished my Lyme disease.
1: So talk to us more about combo. We've heard about it from two or three past podcast guests, and we've been told you know, little bit, little bits and pieces from each, but can you describe for us what combo is and what the treatment and the process is actually like of, of taking combo?
2: Yep. So combo is, uh, poisonous secretions from a tree frog and, um, in the Amazonian and they, they make 11 peptides, that our body makes naturally But basically what they do is it's a whole ceremonial experience as well. And they burn what's called gates and they are like a teeny, teeny, tiny dot. And you can start with a few, like three. And usually they start on your arm and they burn these little three, three dots. And then they put the poisonous secretions on you. And then you immediately feel it racing through your body, looking for disease. It goes to town racing all throughout your body. And it's, it's a, Scary. There's no hallucinogenics to it. It's so it can be scary. Like I, your your face can swell up, your hands can swell up. You can literally turn into a frog. Like you can look like a frog. Um, uh, you get really hot. You, your throat can can tense up. It, it's it's not a fun experience. And for 20 to 40 minutes, you're purging. You're just purging water. You're just purging liquid. But you're also purging disease. That I did. I did it the first time and my husband went with me. He just went out of solidarity, not any other reason. He wasn't into it, but he was like, yeah, I'll go. He did it with me. The next day he had eczema all over his arm for years, completely gone, completely gone. And um, it's, it's brutal for 20 to 40 minutes. But if you go to the right facilitator, The person I go to has it for six hours and it's like a whole wonderful thing. I lay on like a bio mat and like there's meditation and, and, uh, uh, it's, it's, it feels like the worst kind of flu. So like, or food poisoning and, you know, sometimes it's coming out both ends. So you're going to the bathroom and you have your bucket and you're doing the thing. But for me, it's taught me how important my, how how strong my body is. And I'm always like, all right, 20 to 40 minutes, anybody can deal with that. Because then the next day you wake up and you feel like you could run a marathon and you feel amazing for weeks after that.
1: So would you say combo was probably the most aggressive and strongest therapy you've done to date to treat your Lyme disease?
2: Number one thing, without doubt.
1: How many times have you done the combo treatment?
2: I've done it four times. So they say if you do it three times within a moon cycle, that can be like the most potent. So I, that's one thing. And I'm grateful for this. I have sort of like a stick-to-itiveness warrior mentality where like I have friends who have been dealing with Lyme disease before they got a- an actual right Lyme literate doctor for years that I'm going to fast track it. Like, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and just, uh, I want to keep doing the thing to, to doing my research to figure out what thing to do next. Um, and so I was like, all right, three times within a month, holy crap. I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I felt incredible. And I know that's why there was a, there were a couple months there where I was feeling like a million bucks, still not, not hundred percent, but compared to what I was one to 10 being the worst, I was at a nine consistently. And after the combo, I went down to like a 3.54.
1: So I can't help but wonder, we've heard a lot of other guests tell us that peptide therapy has been very helpful for them in their healing journey. And you mentioned that Combo has, I think, 11 different peptides. Is that what you said? So I can't help but wonder if there's a correlation between peptide therapy and Combo, and those peptides are actually effective in, in treating Lyme disease.
2: I had never heard of that, but I absolutely believe it to be true, for sure.
1: So before I hand this back over to Rich, I just am fascinated. You're the first person to really talk to us in detail about plant medicine ceremonies. And it's clearly been a game changer for you in your health, yeah. with your intuition, your mindset, your nervous system, and just your overall healing journey. If you can just give us a little bit more detail, like what, what is that whole process like? Are they giving you medicine? Are they giving you herbals? Are they giving you tinctures? You know, what is what is it like to actually go through the process? And are they giving you anything to actually treat you while going through this this ceremony?
2: So. Um, with ayahuasca, it's just a cup of ayahuasca um, and that's it. And, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's it truly incredible, but it's, it's heavy, it's deep, it's light, it's all the things. And I always tell everyone with ayahuasca, you better be ready for your life to change. If you're not ready for that, then maybe maybe hold off on ayahuasca. Um, you can also, they call her, they call her mother ayahuasca. So I asked mama Aya to be gentle with me and she was so gentle. And so I thought the second night I was like, Oh, I got this. So the second night I was like, whatever lesson in whatever form, you'd like to give it to me. I'm ready. And the second night was literal hell. It was excruciating, but it was so beautiful. And I, I, I received so much healing from it. Um, So with with Aya, if you have, I had never done mushrooms or I'd smoked weed growing up like in high school and stuff. But other than that, like I've never really done, you know, psychedelics or anything. So um, I've heard of people microdosing with mushrooms. I just had never done it. Uh, I'm really glad I started with part Aya, part psilocybin. Um, cause again, it was like a micro, it was like baby steps into it. Um, before I did full blown Aya and, um, with, with the ayahuasca that I did, I did not do that with a shaman. I did it with, um, a beautiful angelic person who, and I judged that too. I thought, well, if I do ayahuasca, I need to go to Peru or, you know, uh, somewhere where there's an actual shaman in the jungle. I did not do that. I did it stateside. And, um, I'm so glad because going out of the country, being in the jungle, not necessarily speaking the language that probably would have scared the shit out of me, you know? Um, but, uh, it's the biggest piece of advice I could give with it. You have to picture yourself getting in the backseat of a car. So when you're on this plant medicine ride, you're going to be hyper aware of your thoughts and your thoughts will race and they will come and they will go and they will go just get in the back seat get, be the passenger and just witness it and witnessing it without judgment and witnessing it as an actual witness has has been so beautiful and um you know i often think about how tired i am with, because of the lime and because of the mold and whatever but in the plant medicine, it's like, yeah, girl, you're tired because of that, but you're also tired because you won't shut up. Like your thoughts just go and go and go, just be. And one of the things I always struggled with was my purpose in life. I'd get so angry when people would talk about their purpose and they'd feel so like with conviction, they'd speak about their purpose. And while I know I'm a storyteller, I know that that you know I want people to feel through me what they can't necessarily access for themselves while I know that I never necessarily felt like that was my purpose. And then in one of the ceremonies, I heard my purpose is to be the peace, Just, just be. And that resonated so much. And it also took the pressure off of everything, you know? And, um, so it's, it's look with, with ayahuasca, you're going to purge and, uh, uh, with these other medicines, you may not. But if you can just, through it all, get in the backseat and go along for the ride, you'll be on one groovy, amazing ride.
0: So let's talk about that ride and what it means to the rest of the community, because you are a brilliant storyteller. Mm-hmm. How has this entire experience you've gone on? And it's been really fun to watch this, this story unfold and, and watch your early life prepare you for what happened in in your later life, which is preparing you for where you are now and, and how, you know, this, this whole journey has been ordained for you. Um, Where do you think you go from here from the standpoint of your experience and what you've learned on this journey?
2: So um, I now know anyone that feels better out of their home than inside of their home. You might have something going on. You might have some mold. You might have some asbestos. You might have something going on. So like that should be a sign. If your body, if you start to get the thought that your body is betraying you, your body's trying to tell you something. She's not betraying you. She's trying to talk to you. Are you going to listen? Um, and, uh, it's, I feel like it's only just beginning, like there, you know, I worked with Deepak Chopra and Gabby Bernstein, like all of these, these woke thought leaders that I felt very enlightened with at times. And while I'm, I learned a lot at the same time, what I have realized through the medicine is like, the more I know, the more I think I know, the less I know. And so, you know, I think sometimes I thought, especially with my acting career too, like, well, once, once I'm a series regular on a show, or once I've been in a blockbuster, you know, multi-million dollar feature film, then I've made it. That's not what this is about. That's like, that, that just puts a lot of pressure on people. For me, it's about surrounding myself with love and peace and, and doing things in life that bring me joy. And if I get to make money doing those things as well, that's a freaking rad bonus. But um, now it's sort of about simplifying. And I, I've always admired minimalists, but I've never been one. And now I kind of am in a situation where like when we move into our home on Tuesday, officially, I have no clothes. I am someone who has had closets and racks full of clothes like i don't have any of it and um uh it's 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 learning to find the home in here inside my heart and not through outside you know material things and i know that sounds like oh my god roll your eyes but like it's it's the truth and so um it's it's about falling back in love with myself and uh, appreciating my body and all of her wisdom and, um, being grateful that I have caught these diagnoses now, as opposed to, you know, my mom was 55 and died of cancer. She was so young, but I don't want to, I don't want to be in that stage. And most, and you guys know this slime and mold when, when undetected leads often into cancer. So like, I'm really grateful that, uh, everything in life kind of shut down for me instead of to me so that I could truly heal.
0: So do you believe you would have been able to discover the love that you've discovered and you're now sharing with everyone, had you not gone on your chronic Lyme disease journey?
2: No, I I, maybe, but not, I wouldn't have embodied this. I wouldn't have embodied it. It's like, you know, without suffering, there can be no compassion and, You know, I had friends who had lost parents and I, you know, my heart broke for them and I would, I would cry and I didn't understand it until I lost my mom, who was my best friend. So it's like with chronic illness, I didn't understand it at all. I thought I had compassion and empathy. You know, I'm an empathetic person. So I try to, but sometimes you have to really embody it. And for me, it's like, I know, I know I can carry this torch I, I, I have the strength. So if I can be a small part in changing one person's life, then it was all worth it, you know?
0: So let me ask you the final Tick Boot Camp podcast interview question that we always ask. If God forbid your husband came walking into the room that you're sitting in right now and he had a tick biting him on his arm, what would you recommend that he do so that he wouldn't have to go on a chronic Lyme disease journey?
2: Take it out, put it in a bag, send it off, to the right person to test it to see if it has Lyme disease and maybe do a round of Doxy um, so that just in case, and I am not a, a you know, pre, you know, you guys know, I didn't take antibiotics, but as a preventative, it wouldn't be a bad idea. That's, that's, that's the first step. And then also I'd, I'd find the right like essential oils and, and you know, get them on some binders and sweating and, and just doing all the things right away.
0: Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Noelle Ellie. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Noelle Ellie and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at Noelle underscore Ellie. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Camp has created a tick bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or on Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Camp podcast. And finally, we thank your community for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.